several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow And it is time for your weekly Grape Encounter. This is the time of year where people hound me about suggestions for holiday gifts. But I'll tell you, there are so many things related to wine that you might want to consider as gifts. And this has been a particularly good year for books about wine. All right, so now in the studio with me is somebody who has produced a book that is really so, it hits so close to home for me because it happens to be this gorgeous photo book with lots and lots of textual information in it as well on the winemakers of uh, Paso Robles. She is uh, Julia Perez from Argentina, but now a resident of one of the finest wine regions in all the world, Paso Robles. And or thank you for being here. Hi, David. Thank you for having me here. I am so delighted to have you here. Of course, you know, our wine region here, the Paso Robles wine region, has become so famous and, you know, has been named the number one wine region of the year by Wine Enthusiast magazine a few years back. And it deserves that. But it is home to some of the world's finest winemakers, and you decided to create a portrait of, what, 53, I think it is? 53 winemakers. Yeah, 53 winemakers uh, from the region, and you really went after the people that really deserve so much respect for turning this region into a worldwide powerhouse region for, for making wine. But I think it's just, you know, you just pour through this book and you can't stop looking at the photographs. It's really spectacularly put together. Assembled the book is just first class. Oh, thank you. So thank how, you very much. So how did we, first of all, pick the winemakers and why did you decide to do this book? So when I was living in Spain, I did something a little bit similar, but not too much. And it was, I captured a whole vintage for a winery, and they decided to put together a kind of a diary with these pictures. And they gave this book to their customers as a holiday gift at the end of a year. And the feedback that I got from the people that received the book was kind of amazing. They were telling me that they started to enjoy their wine in a whole different way way after having a human story behind it. And that's what I wanted to do here. I wanted to make this book, filled it with human stories and fantastic pictures, and make the, the wine lover come a little closer to the winemaker. See, this is a, such an important thought that you're making here because it's a common theme on our show, and it's this. The more you know about the winemaker, the more you will appreciate the wine because winemakers pour literally 
a tremendous amount of their heart and soul into the wine. Mm-hmm. And you can learn a tremendous amount about the winemaker just by exploring that person's face, oh, their I portrait. Oh, I agree, yes. You know, the smile lines, the frown lines, it's very invasive, I think. Yes, I completely agree. And I think that when you drink wine, filtered, non-filtered, earthy, Whatever you perceive in in a glass of wine, you're kind of drinking part of their personality too because they put everything in there and they are so passionate about what they do that you can really feel it. And that was kind of one of the premises of this book and how we got to choose these winemakers. I really wanted to have passionate people in the book. I really wanted to take pictures of their passion for wine because you can really tell on the pictures who's passionate and who's not, right? It's it's easy to tell. Do you think they could look at the pictures of these winemakers and get a pretty good sense of what their wines might be like just from looking at the picture? Oh, yes. You see somebody's face and how they move and how they behave. You can read a little bit of their personality. And that's how I drink wine. You know, when you swirl, when you smell, you're getting a sense of what you're going to drink. Same thing happens with people. When you're taking pictures, you always know when that picture, when you get the shot, right? There were some people that were really, really fast, and we connected right away. So that that magic kind of happened very quickly. Some others, it took me a little longer, and I think that it has to do, it's related to their wines, you know? It takes a little longer to open up, and some you have to decant. But after a while, I think that I ended up bonding with everybody. I think that I had to come back for a couple of pictures by the end of the project when I wasn't exactly happy with what I got or I wanted some more. I want to say that 51 of those profiles, I just got them while I was shooting here and maybe two I had to come back. Anybody in here that you just went, wow? Oh, that's hard to say. Oh, um, come on. <laughs> come on, spill it. <laughs> it's, it's, that's really hard to say. I think that every winemaker is special in, in a different way. I really have fun shooting Stefano Seo. It was such a great experience. I got to be in one of their blending sessions, and I think that one of the portraits came from, from there. And it's so serious, and it's so deep, and it's so respectful. You know, they they all sit together, and Stefan is in the middle. There's not a lot of talking, but there's a lot of looks, and I'm putting the wine down and, you know, sipping and sipping again and swirling, and it was amazing. I was so lucky to be in that session. And, of course, I learned a lot from him. He would just say, hey, look at this chart. You see it? And I had no idea what he was pointing at. But he would explain it to me and with so much passion that it was amazing. I have a lot of respect for Stefan Asio. Of course, I have respect for everybody. But I got to spend a lot of time with him, and that was great. I got to say, one of my favorites, it might be my favorite in the book, is Gary Eberle. Oh, yeah. And, and Gary is such an icon on the Central Coast because he was really the first winemaker to have Pasa Rebels on his bottle. The first winemaker to have wine caves here. I don't think the Central Coast wine community would be what it is were it not for Gary. And I look at this portrait of him and I go, wow, you got him. Just mind-blowing how good that shot is. It's funny, but I went to Everly a couple of times before taking his pictures, and he was always sitting there, you know, by the door, 
drinking rosé, wearing his T-shirt and his shorts. And that's <laughs> yeah. exactly how I envisioned his portrait, like being Gary, and just there sitting there yeah. and enjoying his wine and talking to people. And, you know, of course, his dogs were next to him. But at the beginning, he was kind of serious. And after five minutes, ten minutes, he started to throw joke after joke. And I just had a blast taking pictures of him, to be honest. Yeah. I have fun. Amazingly well done. I can't tell you how much I, I just appreciate how you've captured the essence of these folks. We're talking to Julia Perez, and uh, the book is Winemaker's Paso Robles. You know, I just wanted to point out two other people that are in here. The Dow brothers, D-A-O-U, Daniel and George Dow, who came to Paso Robles and they decided that they were going to take Paso Robles to the level of the Napa Valley. You can see the seriousness of these men, and you see that seriousness in their eyes. They're perfectionists. Perfectionists, yeah, Yeah, that is correct. When you talk to to Daniel, he has so many details of wine. He's so passionate. He talks about phenolics, and everything he says is so interesting that I would love to, to sit with him for like a whole week and talk about wine. He has so much to say. I think that he's in a mission to make the best wines in California. Yeah, I think that is exactly true, and he might just uh, very well do that. It's a good place for us to end this conversation. What a glorious, beautiful job that you've done, and as far as I'm concerned, this particular book by Julia Perez is as good as any that I've ever seen, probably better than any that I've ever seen, and I really congratulate you for doing a great job here. Thank you. It was a really fun project for me, and I got to meet fantastic people. Of course, I got to drink awesome wine, too. And now maybe you get to take my picture. Of course. Okay. Let's make it happen. All right. Let's make it happen. All right. That is going to do it uh, for this little snapshot of Grape Encounters. We're going to come back and I'm going to introduce you to a fellow who is really a wine maverick. I think this is a show that we have uh, foreign accents on. He's uh, He comes to us from France and you're going to really love his insight on wine. And he kind of looks at what everybody else is doing and does just the opposite. And it has served him really well. Thank you so much for being here, Julia. I really appreciate it, and I wish you the best of luck. For people who want the book, uh, you've got, a, I think, a special edition out there for Christmas, right? Yes, we are offering holiday boxes with the book, the special edition book, and two bottles. We have two different boxes that you can check oh, on our webpage. Oh, that's nice. The Winemakers of Paso Robles. Winemakers of Paso Robles. Yeah. Okay, great. And uh, we'll uh, post a link to it as well at grapeencounters.com. You can find it there. It's a great Christmas gift. All right, we'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. The best way to avoid spitting wine is to avoid wines unworthy of being swallowed. David will be right back in a spit second. Oops, my bad. Make that split second. back and he's not alone your grape encounter continues with david wilson and a little help from his friends and we are back with grape encounters radio and now i have the opportunity to introduce you to somebody that i liked right off the bat he bills himself as a maverick winemaker and if any of you have ever seen my business card uh, you will see that uh, i also list myself as a wine maverick because i uh, really believe in uh, not always doing things the way everybody else is doing it. And so when 
I came across uh, Alex Remy, who is the winemaker for Atlas Wines. I was just blown away by my conversation, the way that he looks at making wines for you all out there. And so without further ado, patched into Alex up in the Napa Valley, um, here's Alex Remy. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, glad to be here. I'm very excited to, to talk about our project here. Let's talk about the project for a second. And, and let me actually tell people how you and I came to meet each other because I posted something on LinkedIn in, well, about a week or so ago, and I was uh, putting feelers out for anybody that's in the wine industry that had a story to tell that was going to be different than the average story that you would hear about wine. And I guess it was a friend of yours that actually came across that post, right? They absolutely thought that you would be a great fit. And one thing led to another and you reached out to me and here we are. Yeah, exactly. That's that's it. I, uh, my friend just said, hey, look at the person and uh, it seems that it's uh, it's exactly what you're trying to do. And I, I shoot you an email and we get the uh, discussion going. So that was that was very uh, an awesome opportunity. So you threw the gauntlet down. Yeah, always. It's it's. Um, I've been a, a yes person. I've been a, a lot on on social media or LinkedIn. On you know, as a winemaker, you get so many requests all the time, and you think that everyone tried to sell you something or not legit. And I've been saying no for the past six months on, in the beginning of the year, and um, I switched my my set of mind to be a yes person. Uh, you won't believe how many opportunities I've been missing just by doing a quick look on on basically just. Uh, in front without actually trying to listen to what people have to say. You're saying then that you were a judgmental person and you were turning down opportunities because they weren't fitting your standards. Not even that. I think it's it's more like uh, time is valuable and, and you know, I'm, I'm a I'm a father of two kids and I have limited time and I just uh, try to go right to what matter the most meaning like you know trying to put put my wine out there and, and make the best wine I could but I found that you know even time is variable if people are taking time to reach out to you sometimes it's it's interesting to have to to see what's come come up from me coming a yes person actually doesn't take more time he actually opens your world and I, I it's a big shift on my entrepreneur mind that I think um, you know we get so many people that try to reach out to you in some ways and we, we close each other to, to other people and I think being a yes person as a is a big plus now nowadays. Can you just jump into the the structure of the company first of all, and then I want to get into what it is that sets this winemaking operation apart from other winemakers? Because you've got some definitely ideas and principles that are not what we would usually find in the wine industry. So that's why we wanted to share your story. Atlas Wine Company was created about three years ago with the goals to first make very high-end wines from very special sites that we actually farm. On the side of that, we decided to launch a more affordable Chardonnay project that will sort of finance more regularly the, the iron project. You do, by the, by the way, have a, a, an accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did, did, you have to, did, did, did you have to pay for that accent to, or is that natural? It's, it's very natural, but it <laughs> does serve a lot of wine in winemaker dinner. If you have a French accent, you, you, you're winning half the crowd because you, you're you are legit. If you're French and you're making wine, you're already legit. So that's uh, I keep it in purpose. <laughs> Let's first talk about these iconic vineyards that you were yeah. referring to, because this is something that I think a lot of people don't really think about. But there are certain properties, and in particular in Napa and Sonoma, there are properties up there 
that winemakers would literally cut a limb off to be able to get grapes from those vineyards because they're so legendary and they produce such amazing wines. How different is that than what you've experienced in other parts of the world? It's a multi-stage question there. <laughs> uh, because, um, you know, in France, um, I would say Italy, everything is based on the region and the region has regulation from the type of grapes you can plant on, on, on all of that. Where in the, in the American market, people have a switch to varietal and then uh, slowly but surely they try to narrow down the region so you say California Cabernet and then we say oh wait Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa Valley is better oh wait Cabernet Sauvignon from Pritchard here is very the best and then you know after it's gone go down not from the single vineyard so some of the collectors of wine will look not only for Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon but also that Pritchard here single vineyard denominations that will bring an extremely selective part of the Napa Valley. You're literally boiling it down to a vineyard, what could be just even 50 acres of vineyard land, like one that comes to mind is Tokelon. And, yep. you know, where our friend uh, Mark Carter has made some a number of 100-point wines from that vineyard, it's so special. Exactly. And there are a number of uh, sites like that in Napa where in other regions in the world we wouldn't get that specific because uh, they, they're just not as stellar. They don't have sites that are as world-renowned as mm-hmm. sites like that. Pritchard Hill, you mentioned, yeah, which is where our our friends, uh, the Chapelets, are up there. So Calon is a a great example of, of, you know, uh, Mr. Beckstoffer on on the Mondavi is trying to bring that, or Opus One brings that vineyard to uh, almost as a brand. So the vineyard becomes a brand. The only place in the world that would be uh, almost similar is, is Burgundy with each village being special and each village has a family that owns, you know, half of a parcel and that's very special to the to the world. But um, that model exists out there. With your name, Atlas, any relationship or inspiration from one of the truly great sites in the Napa Valley, Atlas Peak? Yeah, no, 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 not, not any correlation to that. Um, the 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 name Atlas was started as Atlas Vineyard Management. It was just a name that people can remember easily and, uh, and was decided by uh, Barry Belay and Mike Serbuski, the, the owner of Atlas. And when we created the wine company, it was just uh, Atlas Wine Company from there. I did make wine in my past from Atlas Peak, which I absolutely love. Not, it's not currently any link to that um, to that appellation. Do people ask if there is a link? Yeah, sometimes. The people that know, because Atlas Peak is obviously for wine enthusiasts very known, but, you know, I think the latest studies show that ap- approximately 2% of the U.S. market is what we call wine enthusiasts. To my uh, discussion with customers directly, very rarely, to the people within the trade or the wine business, uh, often. We're going to f- figure out how all of that information and knowledge translates into the decisions that you had to make to create this company and why, you know, your contrarian uh, logic is making a difference for your company. So will you stay with me, Alex, and we'll be back uh, right after these messages, okay? Okay. And you are listening to Grape Encounters Radio. I'm really tickled to have on my guest, Alex Remy. He is the general manager of wine winemaker and partner at the Atlas Wine Company in Napa Valley. And there's a lot more that they do. And we'll dig into that in just a second on Crepe Encounters Radio. Remember, as much as you may love wine, it is not the answer to your problems. Unless the problem is you're out of wine. (laughs) 
Your grief encounter with David Wilson will continue right after these important messages. You don't have a problem with that, do you? Winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio. Tell you what, anybody that considers him or herself a maverick is okay in my book. I came across a fellow who calls himself a wine maverick, and I think for good reason. And he is definitely bending the rules a bit, and he sees wine from a totally different perspective. And he's earned my respect right out of the chute. He's got some pretty substantial scores from the biggies out there, like wine enthusiasts. So um, welcome back to uh, Alex Remy. Alex. Hey. Glad to have you on the show, man. Yeah, me too. Uh, uh, it's really great talking to you. So let's talk about what makes the Atlas Wine Company different than other companies that are making wine out there. How, how do you see the wine world and, you know, what do we see when we look through your glasses? Picking up where, where we left about those single vineyard wines, on obviously their amazing quality, but also that uh, an FT craft. Uh, price tag in a way. Enfin, our goal with Atlas is really to, to become that bridge of being the educators to uh, open the world of wine to to how to enjoy the very nice Burgundy, but we really need to start with 95% of the wine under $20 retail are made by 30 corporations in the, in the United States. Let me understand that. So you're saying that 90% of the wine that... 95? 95% of the wine that is out there that we can buy in a wine store or a package store or, you know, a grocery store, depending upon where you are is made by just 30 companies. Yeah, and it, you know, it's thousands of labels, but you just don't know it's made by, you know, Gallo or Constellation because, you know, Constellation only have like perhaps, I don't know, 10 or 15 wineries just in the Napa Valley buying them and keeping the, the winery name, but it's managed by a corporation in the in, in the back end. And therefore, you know, the, the quality of the wine under $20, uh, to my opinion, to my professional opinion, could be better. And uh, that, that became my, my mission is, you know, on top of that, as a French person, the quality of the wine at the price points are absolutely amazing. Everyone that goes to France always say, well, the wines are, are, are not that expensive, and yet they're extremely good. And uh, I was I was surprised when I arrived in the United States to find absolutely amazing wine with a $50 price tag. That was with a $50 or a $15? I said, well, of course, at 50 bucks, it better be good. Yeah, right. Exactly. So the, I knew how to make wine from France, you know, extremely well with a tight budget. So when we started with Atlas, I really decided that I want to make a difference by bringing to the to every person that starts drinking wine or even people that drinks drinks wine regularly to find that that sweet spot of twenty dollar bottle wine that is um, extremely good in quality and that has no additives to it because a lot of wines use additives that you know in order to correct the atmosphere to reduce bitterness or things like that. And I feel like you could make a wine without any additives that will be 
uh, extremely good and yet fitting the price point that uh, we, we uh, with Atlas we say our wine is the Tuesday night wine because you can open it and you don't have to worry that uh, you know it's it's an expensive bar of wine and you you're not sure to finish it. You can open our wine on Tuesday, Wednesday, and if you receive friends on dinner on Saturday and Sunday, our wines are great as well. But we want people to to drink our wine, to be having fun with them, to be part of the community, be a catalyzer. If <laughs> pardon my scientificness, a catalyzer of good times. I just uh, came back a few months ago from a really terrific trip in Bordeaux. One of the things that really surprised me was how inexpensive those mm-hmm. wines were. I'm not talking about the Grand Cru's, but I'm talking about the uh, cl- the classification Bordeaux Superior. You can easily buy wines all day long for between 15 U.S. dollars and, say, 20, 25 U.S. dollars that are going to be absolutely beautiful wines. The vineyards are maintained by families who have been doing it for generations. They're very particular. The winemaking techniques are really, really outstanding, and yet they can sell these wines despite the fact that they put so much energy into it for a very modest price. And I think what you were really saying is that the only people really typically that can turn out an okay bottle of wine at that price are going to be these large corporations who are buying massive amounts of juice from different sources. They make the wines and and literally the same grape juice that went into bottle one, went into bottle four, went into bottle nine. You know, in other words, each one of these bottles is a different label, but it's all the same stuff. It's famous, and uh, it's it's not about uh, pointing fingers, but if a brand like, let's say, uh, Corporation Number Two starts a new label at the uh, pilot size, let's say 10,000 cases, and it sells very well, the year after that they're going to bump it to 200,000 cases, and obviously the quality suffers extremely. So the first wine you get from that new label maybe half excel on quality because it's part of the pilot project. Then the the growth because of being not organic, meaning they don't respect the, the appellations, you know, it could be a North Coast wine becoming a California wine. And just because labels and placement push so much of the sales, the quality uh, falls behind. Could have started to be a great wine. Uh, many famous brands, people will say, oh, I used to like that wine, and now it's like it's, it's okay. So me, I'm trying to, to build an organic growth with wines that comes from vineyard that are carefully selected. And also to, in order to differentiate myself is, is I use complete transparency, meaning everything from the lab reports to everything we do on each of our wine is either reflected on our label by the ingredients list or is on our website with our lab reports or it's on our chef talkers. We say we don't add any gum arabic wow. to round the atmosphere. We don't add Sugar, which is often not sugar, grape concentrate. We don't add coloring. So very common practices where the volume of a wine bumps up too much. They have to correct things like last minute because the quality of the wine is, is under the, you know, the threshold basically. And that happens a lot under $20. Now, everything above a certain price point, you will find uh, obviously a, a much better quality and less use of last-minute tricks in a way. Let me put it to you this way. When I get on uh, LinkedIn and mm-hmm. I look at the various people who are in 
groups that have to do with wine. You'll find obviously lots and lots of winemakers and wineries and what have you, companies that make wine glasses and equipment for the wineries, but you'll also find a lot of people who work for chemical companies. Mm -hmm. And the American consumer, and some of that is just fine. I don't have any real aversion to sulfites and and certain things that go into winemaking. If a a wine is lacking acid, many winemakers will add some back and it's not the worst thing in the world. I wish it wasn't so, but the the idea that there are over 200 things winemakers can legally put into your glass and not disclose, they don't have to tell you that they did it, I think that's a tragedy. Tragedy by the fact that we live in a generation where people care more and more about what's going on in their food. And uh, the lifestyle, people want to eat and drink with uh, a purpose. And knowledge drives that purpose. And, And for me, when I know that it's extremely hard to not acidify my wine, which is not dangerous for you, but to pick and to, to walk the extra mile in order to respect the acidity of a vineyard for growing season, it's, uh, you know, doing that extra effort instead of say, I'm just going to wait to have a 15% alcohol wine and the acids, I will correct it tomorrow because that does not matter to me. I think there is a way where you can walk and make sure that everything's lined up. It takes a little more effort, but at the end, it's also rewarding because your wine It's almost better together. I find when you add stuff, the wine is often disjointed. And it's also something that, and that I have no proof of it, but I think you don't digest wine as well. We have a few minutes left. I'm going to take a break right now. And then when we come back, I want you to tell me the kinds of things that you're doing. You know, maybe give me four or five different aspects of your business that you would say are different from what the average winemaker is doing and then also why it makes a difference for the quality of your wine and enables you to sell really good wines at really inexpensive prices. Sounds great. Okay. Better be thinking about it. It's a pop quiz. It's a pop quiz coming up next for my, 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 my very special guest, Alex Remy of the Atlas Wine Company. And actually, there are a couple of other brands you want to look out for that are under the Atlas umbrella. I know it's, it's a confusing story today, Alex. You, uh, you gave us a lot to think about. I hope so. <laughs> okay, good. All right, we'll be back with more Grape Encounters. Just stay with us. People sometimes say it's the wine talking. Well, everyone knows that wine can't talk. That's why a bunch of grapes got together and hired David Wilson to do the talking for them. (laughs) David will uncork today's story after this. are tens of thousands of wines and even more stories about them. Here's a wine story selected just for you by your personal wine captain, 
David Wilson. So just how do you differentiate yourself from other winemakers? You know, how do you stand out? How do you get people to love your brand? Well, certainly selling great wine at a really great price that has not been, gosh, I hate to use this word, but I'm going to, has not been bastardized by adding a lot of, you know, chemicals and, and stuff that we just don't want to digest either in our food or our wine. You know, that is the way to a wine lover's heart. Unfortunately, it's pretty hard to find that stuff out there. You can find uh, $20 wines that taste pretty good, but I can guarantee you that so many of those have been made in a laboratory as opposed in in a winery and a vineyard that is uh, deeply committed to making clean wine at a great price. So I've got Alex Remy on from the Atlas Wine Company, and he is a maverick because, you know, he wants to sell you really great wines. He wants to, you know, keep all the garbage out of his wines. He wants to fully disclose everything that goes into the wines. He wants to keep the price point at a place where you can afford these wines any day of the week and be totally happy with them and not feel any need to go out and spend 50 bucks a bottle. Do I do I have that right, Alex? Yeah, that's that's actually a great. Can can I can I get that from you? Yeah, I'm, sure. I'm see it on my yeah. website. It sounds, yeah. it sounds amazing. Well, actually, you can. You can just uh, you can just pull that and put it right on your website. But that but that is the truth. And 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 I'm excited about your viewpoint on wine. That your perspective is you can make it better and even make it less expensive by making it better and and making it a, you know a higher quality product that we can feel good about putting into our stomachs. So you want me to tell you uh, five things about how, how we do things uh, the maverick way? Yeah, you have for it. <laughs> All right, so, go, go for uh, it. The, the first thing that I think is, is very important is, is to me and for, for our team here at Atlas is, is knowing what you want to do before you do it, meaning having, having an idea of what kind of wine you want to make and, and make sure that you do everything on that purpose. A lot of people blend at the last minute in order to, you know, uh, fix things up or make it, but they don't have a plan like one year before. At Atlas, we, we do it that way. Often what we do before we start the program is we, um, I'm going to take the example of our old Belo Chardonnay. We took all the best-selling Chardonnay from $50 to $20 in, 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 in store, and we blind taste them with a focus group. So that means I bring about 20 people, 20 regular customers in my office, and I just ask them, do you like that one or do you prefer that one? So they do a comparative tasting, and they give me what they prefer. Yeah. And what we find out in Chardonnay is that uh, a lot of people like uh, Oki and Buttery Chardonnay, but they like it with a lot of fruit complexity. And the fruit complexity comes from uh, the, the price tag, meaning that you're going to have oak and butter, but you're going to have more fruit on when the price got higher. Meaning over $35, you have more fruit than a $20 bottle of wine. So why is that, Alex? Why why does more fruit drive the price up on a Chardonnay? No, it's just the quality of the fruit. It's, you know, like the, the pure yield on a vineyard, if you get a vineyard at four tons an acre, which is less water in the berries, you can have more, you know, uh, aromatic compounds per... I don't know, pair gallons of juice in a way. So uh, if the yield are lower, meaning that you pay the, the fruit higher, uh, you're going to get a lot more aromatic complexity. And therefore, throughout the process of winemaking, which is basically to not lose any of that aromatic complexity, uh, that's the goal of a winemaker is to preserve as much as you can. If your grapes are come from Central Valley, they will yield 8 to 10 tons an acre. And most of that is because of irrigation and overcropping. So therefore, you have less aromatic pair 
you know, gallons of juice. Yeah. So we want oak, but we want we want fruit too, which is a, a little different perspective on Chardonnay. We've got four more yeah. items, so let's uh, jump into those. Okay. So uh, so basically, we, we do a focus group on all our wines. Uh, the other thing we do differently is we we are committing ourselves to distribution instead of hosting room on direct to customers because that takes a lot of resources and a lot of costs, which is reflected on the price of the wine. The other thing that we do is different is uh, we try to educate as much as possible our customer, and our back label is extremely informative. That matters as well. Talk about the back label because this is one of the real uh, distinctions uh, between your wine and other wines. What I found is people pick up the wine in the shelf because the front label looks beautiful. Then they turn the bar and there is zero information. There is a barcode, alcohol, and basically government yeah. warnings. Actually, we put more design effort on our back label than our front label. And I think we are very unique about that. And the goal is basically to try to talk to as many people as we can by providing pertinent information. It's Alex Remy from Atlas Wine Company. You make a lot of different wines. Um, really quickly, I just want to say that you have a brand for your white wines, which is Orobello, right? Yes. And then for the red wines, it's Omen Wine Company, right? That's a, it's OrobelloWine.com for the whites. And they're going to be a rosé next year as well as the uh, wine in a can, a Blanc de Blanc, so a little uh, sparkling Blanc de Blanc in a can. Uh, that's going to be our lineup for Orobello. On Omen, we have a, uh, a Pinot Noir and we're going to have a red blend on the Cabernet Sauvignon. Well, I'm so excited for your company. You've got some massive scores out there. Do you have time just to hit a few of those? Omen Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, wine enthusiast, editor's choice, 93 points for $20. I mean, wow. I don't think you can get better than that. Wow. The uh, Omen Zinfandel on the Oro just got 90 points on wine enthusiast as well. Wow. Omen Pinot Noir was the number one uh, wine in Blue Apron rated. So yeah, all our wines are doing very well because there is a lot of work behind them. i got to point out the fact that with scores that high, you could easily sell those wines for two and three times the price. But apparently, um, it's not about the money for you. No, it's 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 the, the price point. I want people to get introduced to better wine. So the price point is the like everyone on the store comes to you. The first thing they know is their budget, and and that will never change. That's fantastic. Well, all right. Well, listen. Hey, it's been a pleasure having you on. For people who want to find the wines, uh, they can they can buy them online, right? Yes. Yeah, so um, you have uh, atlaswineco.com, but also orbetterwine.com on omenwine.com on on every single site. There is a, a link to the store. So that's it. You just go to uh, Atlas Wine Co. Co. Yeah, dot com. Yeah, exactly. And that's it. And that will be your uh, entry point for all of the other wines. Uh, hey, what a pleasure to have you on, Alex. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much. I think we all understood what you had to say, even with that priceless, priceless French accent that you have. <laughs> Here we go. But any any follow-up question, shoot us on any email, and we'll be happy to clarify if anything uh, was was missing. Great point. Then you can uh, you can send those questions also to us through our contact sheet at grapeencounters.com as well. That was fun. We're gonna have to call it quits for the day, Alex. Can you believe it? Yeah. Well, it's, it was it was amazing. It was amazing, and uh, it's always amazing having great winemakers on the show. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters this week. Check out the wines at atlaswineco.com. You won't be disappointed. I can absolutely guarantee you that these are wines that were made for you. They were made for you first knowing what it was that you want in life and in wine. And that's the difference. We'll be back here at this very same time next week. In the meantime, if you want to listen to past episodes of Grape Encounters, go to grapeencounters.com. Every show that we've ever done, which I think is uh, 439 shows, is sitting right there for you to listen to. We'll be back here next week at the same time. You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounters microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition. 